0: We're taking a little break from the Old Testament and since many people uh, are talking about that the Lord may come this fall at Feast of Trumpets. I hope he does and this blood moon thing seems to think so. I haven't paid much attention to it. But one of the Dallas Seminary fellows has written a book and we've had him before. Mark Hitchcock. So I thought well why don't we just go through the scriptures again and see about the Lord coming back. You know He's coming back for the church before, and that's going to be in our Revelation study. And we're going to hit the whole Bible, really, as we go through here. And we're going to just go fast. But if you want to take notes and mark with your pen in your Bible on the edge, you know, one of these little pens like she has is good. They're pens that don't go through the paper of the Bible. And they're really wonderful to mark with. But so, let's turn back to Revelation 22. But first of all, let's look for just a minute at the last book in the Old Testament before we have our prayer in Malachi. Just before the New Testament is that little teeny book of Malachi, right after Zechariah. See, Zechariah, we probably will get into a little of it because it has to do with The tribulation, the awful time of seven years that's coming. But notice what God says in Malachi at the very end. Well, then in chapter 3, I'm sending my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. All through the Old Testament, the Messiah is coming. Well, what are the Jews looking for? They're looking for the first coming. We're looking, you know, he's already come to die and pay for sin, but they don't believe that, most people. But they believe that he someday is coming, the Messiah is. And the last chapter, it says, for behold, the day is coming. In all through the Old Testament, the day of the Lord, the time of Jacob's trouble, all of these terms are for the last days that we read about starting in the sixth chapter of Revelation. The things that are going to happen in the last days, and we've read in the first chapter a little bit last week that he said, I'm coming quickly. It doesn't mean that he would be coming right then in John's day, but what these things, when they begin to happen, <coughs> will happen very quickly. And we know that it's going to be seven years of tribulation. But notice what it says here. The day is coming, burning like an oven, See, that's going to be the tribulation when we read these terrible things. Burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. See, God is, he's a God of love, but he's also a God of judgment. And judgment is coming on this world. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch, but to you who fear my name... Notice, I want you to underline this, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Well, you know, in the New Testament we read in Revelation 2.28 and Revelation 22.16 that Jesus is the bright and morning star. He's the morning star. Now, before the sun comes up in the morning, what do you see? That bright and morning star. The morning star. So, He's the morning star is coming for the rapture. This is a pre tribulation rapture verse. He's coming for the church, and then he will come, the son of righteousness. That's for Israel, S-U-N, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and this is for Israel, you shall go out and grow fat like stall fed calves, you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb, when we got the commandments, with the statutes and judgments, he said, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and Jesus said himself I tell you now that if you will receive it John the Baptist is the Elijah that would come so he came and he was the messenger for Jesus so the hearts of the fathers he will turn to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse that's how Malachi is now you go back one more book to Zechariah, it tells about how terrible it's being. Chapter 14, there's a lot in here, but just to whet your appetite for what's coming. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. That's the tribulation. That starts with chapter 6 of Revelation. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. See, it's very specific. All nations... Do you see how maybe this is shaping up even for our day? All nations, they hate Israel anyway. And already the one friend they've had all these years under this administration is not very friendly to Israel. I'll gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, in that day, now when the son of righteousness comes back for Israel, in that day his feet will stand. Now this is not the rapture. The rapture is when he comes in the clouds and you and I, believers, will be caught up together in the clouds and be with him forever, but this is when he comes. Seven years later, at the end of the time of judgment, at the end of the tribulation, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. See, he went up from the Mount of Olives. He's coming back to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives, when his feet touch, will be split in two from the east to the west. So there'll be a big valley from the north to the south, making a large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Ezel. So they can flee, and it makes me think that when we come to the 12th chapter of Revelation, where they will flee will be where they fled before from Pharaoh to Mount Horeb down south. Through this mountain valley, they'll come probably to the same Mount Sinai, which is in Arabia. That's probably where they'll be safe. The third of them will be safe. As you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It will be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. And in that day it will be. Now this is when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom, there will be living waters flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea, half of them toward the western sea. What would that be? The western sea would be the Mediterranean and the eastern sea would be the Dead Sea. So both summer and winter it shall occur and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. So this is really in a nutshell, the son of righteousness is going to come back and set up his kingdom after this time of judgment of seven years, and he will rule for a thousand years peaceably. And there'll be living waters coming from Jerusalem. There'll be a new temple in Jerusalem that have water come out from under the temple. That's the last part of Ezekiel. All of these prophets talk about this, and it says, the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, the Lord is one and his name is one. All the land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place. See, there's going to be terrible earthquakes all during the time of the tribulation, the seven years. And so Jerusalem, topography is going to be changed. And Jerusalem will be lifted up raised up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananil to the king's winepress. The people shall dwell in it, and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. No more rockets from these Arabs south of them. And this shall be the plague which the Lord will strike, all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Notice. All the nations are going to come against Jerusalem. Well, how is God going to deal with them? Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. What does that sound like? Nuclear fission, doesn't it? Their flesh shall dissolve. Now, see, Zechariah didn't know anything about this. They didn't even know about automobiles or electricity back then. But their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongues dissolve in their mouths. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. And we're going to see in Revelation how they just raise their fists in God's face and hate him and curse him all the time. But now... A panic will come upon them during this time. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Judah will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together, gold, silver, apparel in great abundance. Such shall also be the plague of the horse and the mule, on the camel and donkey and all the cattle that will be in those camps. So shall this plague be. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations who came against Jerusalem." So there will be some that are left out of all these nations that don't get dissolved by the plague, but the ones that are left will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. See, these feasts are very important of the Lord. There are seven feasts, and why the Feast of Tabernacles? That's the last one. The first one was Passover. What happened at that feast? Jesus died as the Passover lamb, didn't he? That feast was fulfilled. Then the day after was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He's the bread of life that came for the life of the world. That one's fulfilled. Then three days later is the Feast of first fruits. What happened on that day? The resurrection. So three of those feasts have been fulfilled. Then the fourth one happened last Sunday, the Feast of Pentecost, when the We read in Acts 2 that the church started. The Holy Spirit came on that day and the church started but also it probably was, as I mentioned before, it was probably the birthday of Jesus. There was not a set date for Pentecost like June 2nd or June 3rd or May 5th but every year it's like in June, the first part of June, at the end of the harvest depending on what that would be. But we know that when the angel appeared to Mary and told her in Luke chapter 2, he appeared to her in the sixth month. Well, the first month is March, April. So, March, April, May, June, July, August, September. So, September, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and he said, Hail, thou that art highly favored among women, blessed are you. The Savior of the world is going to come from you. And Incidentally, he said, this is the sixth month with your cousin Elizabeth, who was barren. So John the Baptist would be born three months later. And if it was September that the angel appeared to Mary, three months later would be December. So who was born in December? Sorry about Christmas, but it doesn't matter. We'll celebrate it whenever we want to. But John the Baptist was probably born then, and Jesus six months later. John was six months older than Jesus. So six months later would fall at the Feast of Pentecost. So that brings that feast to fulfillment. When Jesus came and died and his birth was on that date. And then the next feast was after a long summer, the Feast of Trumpets. And every verse about the rapture, that before the Son of Righteousness comes back with healing in his wings, the bright and morning star is Jesus. Before the sun comes up, there's a bright and morning star. So every verse has the Lord will come at the sound of the trumpet and the dead in Christ will be raised and we'll all be taken to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus. And so this is a wonderful promise that at the feast, some year, I don't know what year it is, some year he will come for us before the son of righteousness, before he comes back to set up his kingdom, we'll go up. So we will not go through this time starting in chapter 6 of Revelation, the time of Jacob's trouble or the time of tribulation, the things we've been reading about. But it says that everyone who's left will go up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was the last feast. And when you read about it, it was like a picnic feast at the end of the harvest, like at the end of the age, God's harvest. There will be a thousand-year picnic, so to speak, of the Feast of Tabernacles when Christ will rule for a thousand years. But it says anybody that refuses, that's left from this time of tribulation. But I did miss one feast. The Feast of Trumpets is the rapture, some year. Then 10 days later, when will the tribulation start? Probably 10 days after the rapture. The next Feast of Atonement When once a year the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifice for the sins of the people for another year. That's a very interesting study in itself about the tabernacle. But the high priest would go in and they would tie a rope around his ankle. Nobody could go in or they would die. In case he was old and died, they could pull him out by his ankle. So first is the Feast of Trumpets. Ten days later is this Feast of Atonement, when they atone for their sins, and I remember Dr. Mesra, one year I was out walking and he stopped his car and he said, I've just come from atoning for my sins for another year. See, the Jews are still doing this. So ten days after Feast of Trumpets came this other feast, the Feast of Atonement, when they atoned for their sins. Then a week after that is when the Feast of Tabernacles started. So... It was when they were to gather the fruit trees and boughs and limbs and make everybody picnic in their backyard for a whole week, which pictures a thousand years. That's the Feast of Tabernacles, all seven of them. But all of them will have been fulfilled except this one, the Feast of Tabernacles. It says, It shall come to pass that everyone who is left, of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. You can write there, all the others have been fulfilled. If they don't keep the Feast of Tabernacles during the millennial reign, it shall be that whoever the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem, I'm not going up to Jerusalem for that feast, even though they tell me I have to. If you don't go up on them, there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt, so there'll be some Egyptians left, will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. And they shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So that the plague for those who don't come up to keep the Feast is no rain. Well, you can't survive without rain. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day... Holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house, the temple that's going to be rebuilt, shall be like the bowls before the altar. I've been listening in the radio in the car to Solomon building his temple back in the Old Testament when David left all the money and everything and Solomon built it. But it was just so glorious and so full of gold was like nothing and silver and jewels. It was just a gorgeous place. Imagine when Jesus builds one during this time, a temple. It will be the most beautiful place. You and I will want to go and worship him there, along with everyone else. We'll all be doing this. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem. And in that day there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. And like he said in Psalm 2, I have my set my king. Psalm 2 said... I've set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. See, that was prophetic future when David wrote that, that David wrote someday God is going to set his king. David was king, but from David's family would come Jesus, and God would set Jesus on David's throne to rule forever and ever and ever. And you and I will be his subjects and will love him very, very much. And now I want you to turn back before we get started again. I just want to just show a few of these things to you just so that it'll whet your appetite a little more. Turn back to Ezekiel. Just flip back just a little bit more. It says in the 38th chapter, well, all of these, 36 is the restoration of Israel. 37 is how they're coming back like being born out of graves, you know, The Jewish people coming, a nation being formed again. And they won't be two nations anymore, like in chapter 37. Instead of the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel, it'll all be one again, like in Solomon's day, not a divided kingdom. It said, And David my servant shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my judgments. This is chapter 38, verse 24. Well, verse 21 says, The Lord God is saying, I will take the children of Israel from among the nations. This is chapter 37 of Ezekiel. I'll take them from among the nations. He's doing that now, wherever they've gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. See, already they have their land, so it must be near this time. It must be near the time of the kingdom. One king shall be king over them. Who will that be? That'll be Jesus. And they shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. And they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from their dwelling places. And their terrible detestable things had to do with kinky sex and idolatry which is all a part of idolatry. It's all the flesh, and it's terrible. This was their sin, and that they were taken out of their land, but he said, I'm going to change them and change their heart. They will be my people, and I will be their God. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. And they shall have one shepherd. They shall walk in my judgments, observe my statutes, and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I've given to Jacob, my servant where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, they their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. So he won't be the king, but David in his resurrected body will have a high place in the kingdom, but Jesus will be the number one. And my tabernacle will be with them. I will be their God. They'll be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. And the word of the Lord then came to Ezekiel saying, son of man, set your face against Gog and the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh and Meshach and Tubal and prophesy against him. And I just would say, this is Moscow and this is Russia and Tubal is Tobolsk. This is in the northern part, north of Israel the far north that would be Russia and they're getting ready to do this thus says the Lord God I'm against you O Gog Prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal I will turn you around put hooks in your jaws and lead you out with all your army horses, horsemen all splendidly clothed with great company and bucklers and shields remember this was back in five or 600 BC when they didn't have tanks and things but it will be in modern weaponry buckler and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, who's going to be aligned with Russia? Are they already making waves with Iran? Persia is Iran. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are among them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, that would be like um, eastern Turkey and probably from Japheth's family and from Canaan's family. Way back in Genesis, these are the Canaanites and the Japhethites. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the Semites from Shem are the Jewish people. And so, Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togarm, you just say Turkey, from the far north, far north of what? Of Israel, and all his troops. Many people are with you. Prepare and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you. Be a guard for them. After many days, You will be visited in the latter years." Now, this latter years is where we are right now, the latter years of God dealing with man on this earth. And that's what we read in the last chapter of Daniel. Prophet Daniel, "...in the later years you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword," that would be Israel, "...and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. So some way this is probably during the tribulation that the Antichrist will make a league. We're going to see make a league of peace with them to start with and then he'll break his covenant with them but that for a while they'll be dwelling safely. You will ascend this whole northern army coming like a storm covering the land like a cloud you and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God on that day it'll come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I'll go up to the land of unwalled villages. I'll go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates to take plunder, to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods and dwell in the midst of the land. And not only that, but oil and gas from the Mediterranean, all the wealth that they're going to have. So they'll say, well, we're going to come down and take all that. Sheba indeed, and the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions, that would be all the northern kingdom and everything. Will say to them, Have you come to take away silver and gold and livestock and goods and great plunder? Therefore, Son of Man, prophesy. Say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel will dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, far north of Israel, you and many peoples with you. Just take a map and see these nations that are far north of Israel, many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people, Israel, like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days, a second time that it's mentioned, underline that, that I will bring you, God's going to bring them against my land so that the nations may know me when I'm hallowed in you, O God, before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, Are you he of whom I've spoken in former days by my servants the prophets of Israel who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? And it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury, and we're going to see God's fury in Revelation starting with chapter 6, but his fury is probably before that or at the beginning of that time When God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face, for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, steep places shall fall. And in Matthew 24, there'll be diverse places for earthquakes all over the world. at the same time, imagine having not just one terrible earthquake like happened over in Nepal last week or the week before, but all over the world simultaneously. People will just be crazy. They won't know what to do. So the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, and every steep place shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. And every man's sword will be against his brother. Now this has happened before, what, first in Haggai chapter 2 and First Samuel, where these mercenaries are hired to come and fight against Israel by Syria or, or Assyria. And they get down there and then they begin to fight against each other. And that's going to happen again. Every man's sword will be against his brother. And I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him. Flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. They shall know that I am the Lord. And then he says, in that day, I'll give Gog a burial place in the land of Israel. There'll be a long time, seven months burying the dead. Now, that's enough to start us, get us interested in this. Let's turn back to Revelation chapter 1. Lord, we thank you for this time, for this wonderful book, this book of prophecy that tells us what is going to happen in the future so that we aren't like... The rest of the world just wringing our hands and wondering what to do because you've told us. And so, Lord, we need to occupy until you come. Be busy about your business, but keep alert to watch for you to come. And maybe it's this year, and we certainly hope it is. Bless this time in Revelation to each one that's going to study this. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is the unveiling. That's what Revelation means, the unveiling of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his bond slaves, not just everybody, but his slaves, his servants. That's you and me. It's not just the fellow down the street or any heathen. He sent this to show his servants the things that would take place shortly or when they begin to take place, it'll happen quickly. And he sent and signified it. Remember, this is going to be in sign language. Signified Signified it, signified it. He signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God. Now, this is John, his precious young friend, the one that leaned on Jesus' breast, that loved him, and that he gave his mother to John to take care of his mother when he was on the cross. And here is John, an old man now. And when I was over traveling there, and the, many of you have gone by the island of Patmos, It's an island west of Turkey in the Aegean Sea, a desolate place. And imagine this man there. You know, we have it so soft, don't we? I was thinking about this last night. We have such a wonderful life here in America, really, even though we complain. But compared to like an old man, 90 maybe, that was on this desolate island because of his faith, he was sent there by the Roman Empire. He was banished. But while he was there, God gave him this prophecy, this unveiling of himself. He sent it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and to all things that he saw. The angel, he sent and signified it by the angel, the angel bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead. And that he's God's son and he's coming back. So here's the third verse. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. So it's a prophecy, not history, as many theologians would like to say. Oh, it all happened before. No, it's prophecy and it's for the very last days. And John wrote this to be read entirely at one sitting and to be read by the churches in the early days. So, and keep those things. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, John is writing, first of all, this letter, this prophecy, to seven representative churches. And I think that they represent the church down these last 2,000 years. There is a church that's like each one of these Churches: the Church of Ephesus, the Church of Smyrna, Suffering Church, the Pergamon Church, the Thyatiran Church, the Sardis Church, the Church of Philadelphia, the Church of Laodicea. There are churches like this as we go through this, and you know there are an awful lot of time can be spent on that. We aren't going to spend a lot of time. I'll just go quickly to show you that these are not a period of time each one down through the last 2,000 years, but they're all together. There's always been an Ephesian-type church that have left their first love. There's always been a Smyrna church that they suffered for Jesus' sake. Are there Christians suffering and dying for Jesus' sake? Yes, there are. So he said, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, which would be Turkey in that day, and many of you have taken a trip and gone through the seven churches of Asia Minor. I'll never forget the trip. We were in a bus, and the bus driver, he must have thought he was in a race of some kind. And it was these mountainous roads, and he was just whirling around, and it just was really kind of scary. But we stopped at all these places. So grace to you and peace from him who is to come, as John writes these seven churches, and he says, grace to you and peace from him who is, is Jesus alive now? Yes. Who was? He was. He was John's friend. And who is to come? He's coming back again. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So the sevenfold Holy Spirit. Seven is the number of perfection in the Bible. Dr. Ryrie says that number seven occurs 54 times in this book more frequently than any other number in the Bible. It's associated with completion, fulfillment, and perfection. And there are seven churches, seven spirits, seven lampstands in Revelation, seven stars, seven seals on the scroll, seven horns, seven eyes of the Lamb, seven angels and seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven heads of the dragon, seven heads of the beast, seven golden bowls, seven kings, and seven spirits. So anyway, To the sevenfold Holy Spirit, the spirits who are before his throne. Now, Dr. Riley says, maybe before God's throne in heaven are angel spirits that stand there guarding his throne in heaven. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. We know that other people were raised from the dead to die again. But this is the one firstborn never to die again. That's in his resurrection. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he died later on from the dead, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and loosed us or washed us from our sins in his own blood. And he's made us kings and priests. Now, you may not feel like a king or a priest or a queen or a <laughs> priestess, but he's made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory. And dominion forever and ever amen behold he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him Do you see this is his second coming to earth and this is not the rapture the rapture when he comes it'll be secret he'll come in the clouds but not every eye will see him but he'll come secretly and will be snatched away i think it was hal lindsay had a thing called the great snatch and will be snatched up to heaven up to the clouds where Jesus is, but this, every eye will see him when he comes back at the end of the tribulation, and they also who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Now we read in Zechariah, I didn't go back that far, chapter 12 said, they will look on me whom they've pierced, and they will say, where did you get these wounds in your hand? The Jewish people in the, that are saved, and he'll say, where I was wounded. It just so makes you almost want to cry. I was wounded in the house of my friends. He came to his own. His own received him not, but as many as received him, you and me. To them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. So you're born again when you believe in Jesus. He was pierced for us. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. And then he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first letter and the last of the Greek alphabet. I'm the beginning and the end. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. You know, you just need to meditate on these things. Who is, he is now, he always was, and he's coming back again. And we read that he's the one who created this earth. When we read about the Trinity, we say, well, I don't understand the Trinity. Well, the Trinity teaches in the Old Testament that God is three persons in one, and each has a job to do. Each has a separate personality. God the Father, no man has ever seen him at any time. He's a spirit, but he's the planner of the plan of salvation and for the whole earth. And Jesus is the executor of the plan. He created everything. So, everything that's created, Jesus was the creator. Some don't realize that. He's the creator. And what's the job of the Holy Spirit? To reveal. He's the revealer of the plan. This is all so wonderful. Each member of the Trinity has their job to do. But each one, they're each a person, separate personality, but all with the same. Attributes of love and kindness and justice and all the seven attributes or eleven—I don't remember how many there are. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Who I says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that's called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Now this is an interesting thing. It's not the Sabbath, is it? The Lord's Day would be the day He rose from the dead. That would be the day we worship Him, the first day of the week, not the last day of the week, which is the Sabbath where the Jewish people worship Him. But He was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a scroll or a book and send it, John, So Jesus is saying to him, you write these things down, send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, in Turkey, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now, there were many other churches, but these are representative of what would be in all the churches. The conditions that would be in churches, down through these 2,000 years. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band, and his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace and his voice is the sound of many waters. Brass is always a symbol of judgment in the Bible. And his voice is the sound of many waters. Have you been around like Niagara Falls? It's not very silent there. It's very loud, isn't it? He had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And so you see, we wouldn't want to just gaze right at Jesus. You can't look at the sun directly, can you? You'd be blind. And so it is with Jesus. His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell, of Hades, and of death. He has the keys of hell and death. He said, write the things which you've seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. Now, this is the divine outline. As Dr. Ironside said in his book I read years ago, God gives you the outline of how things are going to be happening in the book of Revelation. Write the things which you've seen, chapter 1, and the things which are, chapters 2 and 3, the churches, and the things which will be after these things, starting with chapter 6. So he said, write the things which you've seen, the past, the things about about Jesus and how glorious he is, and the things which are, these seven churches, and the things which will take place after this, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars, are the angels of the seven churches. See, stars and angels are equated in the Bible, as you've heard me say so many times. Well, let's turn to Revelation 22, where the last part of Revelation 22:16, he said, "I, Jesus, have sent my angel." TO TESTIFY TO YOU THESE THINGS IN THE CHURCHES." THIS BOOK IS FOR THE CHRISTIANS, IT'S FOR CHURCHES. NOW, NOT LIKE WE'VE BEEN READING, NOT JUST FOR ISRAEL. THIS IS FOR JEWS AND GENTILES, EVERYBODY THAT BELIEVES IN JESUS, TO TESTIFY OF THESE THINGS IN THE CHURCHES. I AM THE ROOT AND THE OFFSPRING OF DAVID, JESUS SAID, THE BRIGHT AND MORNING STAR. AND THE SPIRIT AND THE BRIDE SAY, COME, AND LET HIM WHO HEARS SAY, COME. And let him who thirsts come and whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. See, remember in Numbers 24, 17, Balaam, the prophet, he was a believer, but he would do anything for money. In his prophecy, he didn't want to say it, but he had to because God put it in his mouth. He said, a star shall come out of Jacob. So that was way back in the book of Numbers that there would be A very important person come out of the land of Israel, out of Jacob's family. A star will come out of Jacob. Now, Lucifer, Satan, is called son of the morning in Isaiah. Let me just turn there. Isaiah 14, verse 12, it talks about the fall of Babylon. And then it says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, day star, son of the morning. That would be the day star. Not the bright and morning star, but Lucifer is the day star, and Jesus is the bright and morning star. But you see, Satan would love to assume what Jesus is, but he isn't. O oh Lucifer, son of the morning or morning star, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Angels and stars are acquainted. So evidently, when God made the stars, and I think when he made the stars, he made them on the fourth day, and he made the angels on the fourth day, and gave them jobs to do well over all of his universe and over each planet. And so over this planet, there was the sun of the morning, was Lucifer. That was his job. We re- Don't you remember reading in Job where God said to Satan, where have you come from? That from going to and fro in the earth and up and down in it. See, this is his sphere of activity in the first and third chapters of Job. And so each angel or star has given a job over maybe over all of God's universe, over all of his stars out in the heavens, innumerable stars. And he said, you have said in your heart, my throne will be above the stars, all the other angels' thrones, all over the universe. I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. So they would be angels. And we read the stars in their courses fought against Sisera. Well, inanimate things out in the heavens don't fight, but angels do fight like we read in Daniel 7. And that's why Daniel's prayer wasn't answered right away because there was war in heaven between a good angel and the bad angel star. And so All of this, the more you read the Bible, everything kind of comes together. And it just kind of like a a web that finally it just all meshes together. He said, I'm going to sit on the Mount of the Congregation on the farthest sides of the north. In other words, I want to be in the governing assembly of God. That's evidently where God's throne is. Above the heights of the cloud, I will be like the Most High. He's a counterfeit. But God says, you will be brought down to hell, to the lowest depth of the pit. And the same thing is in Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 talk about Lucifer, the star of God, the sun of the morning. Not the bright and morning star. So under the picture of the king of Tyre, your heart is lifted up. And... You say, I'm a God, this is chapter 28, verse 2, I sit in the seat of gods in the midst of the seas, yet you are a man, this is the king of Tyre, but Satan has indwelt him, just like he's going to indwell the Antichrist someday, he's going to indwell this terrible person that's coming to rule the world, and we don't know yet who he is, but we won't know who he is, we'll be gone, and then he'll appear you are a man and not a god though you set your heart as the heart of a god behold you are wiser than daniel there's no secret that can be hidden from you with your wisdom and your understanding you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries but then it moves on beyond him it moves into more detail behind the king of tyre it says satan behind the king of tyre he was possessed by satan here's what God says in the beginning, you were the seal, verse 12, of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. See, the king of Tyre wasn't in Eden, the garden of God. But Satan was when the angels were created. They were in the garden. And he heard God give Adam and Eve dominion. And I think that was how he fell, really, from being a good angel to the evil one. When he heard that this was his dominion, this earth, he walking to and fro in it. And for God to give Adam dominion over him, this person created out of the dust, when he was the seal of perfection, and Every precious stone is his covering, the sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold, the workmanship of his timbrels, he could sing and talk like a pipe organ, was prepared for you in the day that you were created. So this is a created being. You were the anointed cherub, this is the angel prince, who covers, I established you, You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till the iniquity was found in you. And I think the iniquity was found on day six. He was created on day four. And day six, when Adam was created and he was given dominion, is when this gorgeous creature rebelled and he became the devil iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze on you. And so this is, is how Lucifer was. And I think you follow that through when God gave Adam dominion, he probably said, where his wisdom was turned to cunning, he said, I'm going to fix this. So in just the next chapter, he appears in the form of a serpent to deceive Eve, not Adam. Mm -hmm. He's got the woman first. They're more easily deceived than men, evidently. And most cults have been started by women in this world, (laughs) sorry to say. So anyway, I think that's when he fell and he caused man to sin, Adam to sin, to follow Eve. And so really, that's the story of the whole rest of the Bible of God fixing what happened on day six, fixing the rebellion of Satan and bringing Jesus back to take care of things. Back to Revelation chapter 2, the mystery of the seven stars, verse 20 of chapter 1 which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars, are the angels of the seven churches. So stars and angels are equated. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Now in the ninth chapter, look, turn back just in closing of Revelation, where we see the beginning of the ninth chapter. When the fifth angel sounded, I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. And to him, not to it, to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. So see, stars and angels are equated in the Bible. So this is an evil angel. And he opened the bottomless pit and smoke rose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. Have you ever been bit by a scorpion? It's not fun. I stepped on one when I first came to Florida. I was barefoot in my yard and <laughs> didn't realize. I didn't even know what a scorpion was, but the mark was in my heel. And I thought I'd, I didn't know what had happened. It was the worst thing that ever happened. I thought I was shot or an arrow had gone through my heel, but it was an awful thing. So we see these are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands, they're the seven churches. So the mystery of the seven stars in my right hand. So in the seven golden lampstand, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So evidently, each church has a guardian angel, just like each individual. You and I, the minute you believe in Jesus, you have a guardian angel. And we saw this with Peter. They said, I think it's his angel. When he went to open the doors of the prison to let somebody out, they couldn't believe it was Peter they said it must be his angel well people have realized all along that God gives a guardian angel and aren't you glad sometimes when you're driving around and somebody almost crashes into you anyway guardian angels they are the seven churches so we'll stop here and next week we'll take chapter two the things which are so this is the things which which were the first chapter John sees all this Then the things which are, we're going to see if we can't get through all the seven churches next week. Lord, we thank you for this time together and for each one who's come out to study your word. Bless it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.